rest here as I try to do some teaching. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5. I'm going to read one verse of Scripture from Hebrews 5 and then two verses out of Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 5. And verse 12, and then Hebrews 6, verses 1 and 2. Hebrews 5, verse 12. So in the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles. Everyone say first principles. The first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. Then turning to chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, understanding again that this was written as a letter, not a chapter book. It wasn't written with these divisions that we call chapters. It was written as one continual letter. And understanding what he has said in chapter 5, verse 12, and then continuing on in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, therefore... Leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith toward God, and of the doctrine of baptisms, and of laying on of hands, and of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. So, in verse 1, he said, therefore, leaving the principles. He mentioned principles in chapter 5. Chapter 5, he mentioned the first principles. Then in chapter 6, he says, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let's go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation. So again, he is dealing with first principles, or what I'm calling the premier principles. And so tonight, we are in part two of this lesson. It is a part of a much larger series. It's going to take a while to get through. And um, this is, uh, now it's not part two of understanding separation. Understanding separation is just the, the overall theme of the entire series. And so there won't be a part one and two and three and four. That's just the series there. But for the message itself, the premier principles, this is part two of this lesson tonight. And um, we're going to talk about, we started it last week, and we're going to try to finish it up tonight. I feel confident I'll get finished tonight. In fact, I think I only have about two pages of scriptures tonight, so we should be able to cover that without any problem. I got 40 minutes to do it in. I think we'll get it done. I didn't get one amen. I think everybody's faith is weak tonight. Uh, Let me just tell you, blessed are they that have not seen and still believe. Bunch of doubting Thomases. This is what happens when I get tired. I tell people, when I get this tired, I either, I either get crazy or I get grouchy. So be glad if I'm making you laugh, all right? I'm... 
All right, so where was I? Oh, yeah, Premier Principles, part two. So let's put our Bibles down. Let's ask the Lord to help us tonight. I really seriously do need His help. I do feel wore out and weak, but God can help me tonight. Let's pray together, everybody. Lord Jesus. name in Jesus name let's praise him one more time everybody let's give God some praise right now come on let's give God some praise right now let's really give God some praise right now hallelujah 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 God bless you you may be seated now let me do some review, and I really am going to try my best tonight to make this review short. I started to say short and sweet. I don't know how sweet it'll be, but I'm going to try to make it short nevertheless. We talked about last week, Hebrews 5 and 12, mentioning the first principles of the oracles of God. Hebrews 6 and 1 mentions the principles of the doctrine of Christ and though the King James translators chose to translate these phrases different for some reason between chapter 5 and chapter 6, the fact of the matter is that when you look at the original Greek you find that both, both verses really uh, reference the first utterances or the first principles they are the premier principles. Both of these passages are referring to exactly the same thing. And I pointed out to you that the fact that the author would use this kind of terminology when he talked about the first principles, the very word that he used, gives us an idea and a concept that these principles come before everything else. These really are the foundational principles. They are, if you please, the most important principles. If you could think of it as a hierarchy, in fact, the word that's used is arche. And that's where we get our word hierarchy. Um, it, it is this, this same idea and concept. And there is, among the principles of God, there are certain things that take precedent over other principles. They, they become the most important. And in fact, they become the foundation from which everything else really springs. Alright? Don't have time to go back through all of that. But if you missed it, go listen to the recording. It is on the website, I think. Alright. Now... What I started to do last week was to introduce to you four of these first principles, premier principles. We started talking about them and we got halfway through them. 
And that's as far as time allowed us to go. And so tonight we're going to, uh, I'll review those two. And then we're going to pick up with the last two of these four principles. And it's the last one that I really am focused on as a part of this, of this overall series called Understanding Separation. This is, as I mentioned to you, it's really what my next book is all about. And, um, and this will be the first chapter of the book. What you're hearing right now will be the first chapter of the book, Lord willing. Because I'm going to show you some things tonight in the lesson that I feel like are extremely, extremely important to every child of God. In fact, let me just stress again, these are the premier principles. That means that these four things take precedent in our lives. They've got to become the most important concept to which we adhere, the most important things which we embrace. All right, we, we talked about, first of all, what our, our premier doctrine is, the premier doctrine of the apostolic church. Does anybody know what that is? Anybody remember what that is? It is that there is only one God. This is the premier doctrine. It is our first message because everything else that we preach springs from the doctrine of the oneness of God. Listen, listen, this whole idea, and we talked about it during our Face the Truth Live, um, I think last month, we, we, we talked about this, this idea that that there's this progressive revelation that God just kind of hid the fact that He was a trinity throughout the Old Testament and then all of a sudden, surprise, surprise, surprise. I've been telling you I'm one, but I really mean I'm three in one. And that's nonsense. I'm going to tell you the reason why the Old Testament continuously stresses that there's one God is because everything that's going to happen in the New Testament has to be based upon that fact. It doesn't divert from that fact. It doesn't, it doesn't take away from that fact. It doesn't divide that fact. Everything in the New Testament is, is resting on this principle that there's only one God. Hereby perceive we the love of God that He, He, the only God that ever has been, that He laid down His life for us. That's how we know God loves us. Not because God looked around heaven and sent somebody else to do the dirty work. But we know God loved us because He laid down His life for us. That, my friend, is real love. The God of the universe didn't have to do that, but He loved us enough to do it. And everything else we preach. We preach baptism in Jesus' name because there's only one God. The name of the Father is Jesus. The name of the Son is Jesus. The name of the Holy Ghost is Jesus. So we baptize in Jesus' name because there's only one God. Praise God. I, I went through all of that last week. This is our premier doctrine. Our premier doctrine. Our first message. And then I talked about our premier focus. 
our premier focus, our first objective. Does anybody remember what that was? Seek first the kingdom. Good. At least a few of you were paying attention or else you wrote down notes and you got them in your Bible now and you're reading them off to me. But that's all right too. At least you're, you're, you're reminding yourself and helping to remind everyone else uh, what this is. But our premier focus, our first objective ought to be to seek the kingdom of God. That ought to be for seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. That's what the Bible tells us. Amen. This is first and foremost. We've got to pursue the kingdom of God over everything else. We ought to, When we look at a job, it ought to be, how's this going to affect the kingdom of God? Now, I'm telling you, and I, I don't want to get sidetracked, but I've seen too many apostolic people make major decisions and major moves based on their finances, not based on how it's going to affect the kingdom. I've seen people move off because they had a job offer or because uh, life was cheaper or whatever. They had all these things monetarily and then start asking, where's a good church? Where's a good church? You know, you should have asked that before you ever made the move. Your first focus ought to be the kingdom of God. And if there's not a good church for you to go to, I can tell you right now, it's not the will of God for you to go. I don't even have to pray about it. I don't have to go on a three-day fast. I don't need to see an angel. I can tell you now, if there's not a good church for you to attend, it is not the will of God for your life. That's simple. That's easy. God wants you in a good, strong, solid, apostolic church. Now, I don't have to be your pastor. I hope that I am. But I don't believe that I'm the only person that can save people. I, just, I spent all this time talking about this young lady that just prayed through. I'm glad she's in that church. I don't think I'm the only one that can save her. God used me to lead her to truth. He used me to preach truth to her and to get her to an altar. He allowed me the privilege of baptizing her in Jesus' name, but that doesn't mean I've got to be her pastor. But I'm just telling you, there are too many people that have absolutely made shipwreck of their lives because their premier focus was their finance or their family. I want to go be close to my family. So I'm going to move and be close to my family. Actually, I, I, I've got to hurry here. I've got, to, I've got to remember. I don't have much time. But there was, a, there was a time. This has been many years ago. Don't even try to figure out who or what or where. All right? Don't even try. Yea, I say verily. I had, I, had a, I had a man come to me and he said, you know, we're really praying about moving away and I said, well, you know what? I said, we've got an evangelist coming in. He's going to be here Sunday. I'm not going to say one word to him. Let's just pray, and let's see if God speaks while the evangelist is preaching. 
He said, okay. The evangelist got up, and I mean he preached. That Sunday morning, he preached. And he said, you know what? God put you in this church. You need to plant yourself right here. If you want to see your family saved, you need to plant yourself in this church. And I mean, he just hammered on that. And I thought, well, that guy got his answer. And after church, the man came to me smiling. He said, I got my answer. I said, yeah. He said, I need to move to go be with my family so I can get him in church. Huh? Did you just listen to the same message I listened to? They didn't save any of their family when they moved. I don't even know if they're in church. And I don't glory in that. But I'm just telling you, when God speaks to you, you really ought to listen. And that was one of those situations. Nobody set it up. Nobody tried to feed the evangelist. Say, hey, we got a situation here. It didn't work like that. God spoke to that individual trying to give them direction. They didn't listen. But I, I'm just telling you, you can't base it on your family. God knows what's going to save your family. God knows who's going to save your family. And it may not even be you. Hey, 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 what town did Jesus grow up in? Nazareth. What town did he have the least results in? Well, can anybody connect the dots? Prophet's not without honor except in his own country. Well, and so, so I'm just telling you, our, our focus has got to be the impact this is going to have on the kingdom of God. Is this what's best for God's kingdom? Sometimes it is. There are people sitting in this congregation that didn't pray through in this church. And I'm thankful that they're a part of this church. There are times that it is best for the kingdom of God. And God does those things. But my point is, we've got to be seeking first the kingdom. What is best for the kingdom? All right. Now, I, I got 25 minutes left. I only got two principles to cover. But I haven't even started on those two pages of scriptures yet. So let's, you're, you're going to have to do, fa- do this better, Brother Goff. You're going to you're gonna have to get, get to where you're moving at a higher speed now. Um, so, so number one, number one, we have our premier doctrine. Our first message is only one God. Our premier focus, our first objective, seek the kingdom of God. So then number three, we are looking at our premier responsibility. Our premier responsibility. Now we're into new territory, all right? Our premier responsibility. Let's hear what it is from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Now, now look, I've shown you when I gave you the, the, the premier doctrine, it was because Jesus said that this is the first of all commandments. He put it first. When I told you this is our premier focus, it's because Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. So he put it first. Right? So, let's look at the third one here. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I exhort therefore. I exhort therefore that. First of all. That, wait a minute, that what? First of all. Hmm. 
seem like Paul is kind of letting us know something here. I'm, I'm exhorting you, I'm preaching to you, I'm saying to you, I'm commanding you, if you please, that first of all, what? Supplications, supplications prayers, prayers, intercessions, intercessions and giving, giving of thanks, thanks be, made be made for all men. For all men. Let me tell you, our first, our first responsibility is to pray. That's our first responsibility. Now, I want you to think about what I'm telling you. Before you just shout amen, think about what I'm telling you. It's our first responsibility. Now, if it's our first responsibility every day, where should it focus? Where, where should it be slotted into our calendar? You want to know why a lot of people struggle in living for God? Is because they fight their battles all day long and then they want to come running to Jesus at the end of the day. Oh, it's getting quiet now. Where's all my shouters that I had a few minutes ago? I'm just convinced that we ought to start our day talking to the Lord. That ought to be our first obligation. All right? Our first obligation is to make prayer the beginning point of every day. We cannot hope to please God if we don't stay in constant, consistent communication with God. We can't walk in the Spirit if we don't pray in the Spirit. You know, it's amazing. When I was a kid and, and, and I was raised old-time Pentecostals, they used, to, they used to talk about people getting in the Spirit, you know, when they were shouting or they were dancing. And then somebody would, I mean, I, I've seen all kinds of things. I've seen them. I, I saw a man just, I mean, he got totally lost in the Holy Ghost. We had a, a banister. At the, at, the, uh, at the church where I received the Holy Ghost, I had a wooden banister, solid wood banister that stretched across the front before you got to the platform. And I saw that man fall out in the spirit, and it, he, he fell and hit the side of his face. He hit it so hard it flipped him over. He never got so much as a bruise. I've heard tell of old timers when they had the old stoves that were in the church to get them warm. Some of them shouting and, and, and putting their hand on it or bumping up against it, never getting burned. And the, and the response would be, well, they were in the Spirit. And then it kind of evolved or devolved to the point where if somebody did get hurt, well, they must have been in the flesh. Um, I, have, I, I have a very important announcement to make. Whether they got hurt or not, they were still in their flesh.
It wasn't their spirit that was dancing. It wasn't their spirit that was shouting. They were in their flesh. Now, I know what was meant by this. By this. I, I understand. They were saying, well, they were just being carnal. I, I understand. I, I don't agree with that philosophy. I've seen some people that I believe were sincerely worshiping God with all their heart get hurt during the process. I have seen some that were carnal that got hurt during the process. But I don't think it's a hard and fast rule that that, that was carnal worship just because somebody got hurt. I, I, don't, I don't think we can make that statement. But I'm going to tell you, here is the problem. If we're focused on whether or not somebody is shouting in the Spirit, then we're looking at it the wrong way. Because what they need to be doing is walking in the Spirit. And if they'll walk in the Spirit every day, then when they start shouting, they'll be shouting in the Spirit. If they'll spend enough time praying in the Spirit, then they'll walk in the Spirit. And if they walk in the Spirit, they'll shout in the Spirit. Well, hallelujah. We've got to learn as saints of God that we have one obligation that takes precedent over everything else in our lives. We've got to spend time praying. Well, I don't expect you to run the aisles when I get to preaching like this, but if you put it in practice, you'll be running the aisles. Or some of us will. I'm, I'm afraid to run the aisles anymore. I, I, I might jog probably about as fast as I'm going to get these days. Uh, maybe walk at a fast rate. That's why I was so thankful the other night when Brother Self started the victory march. I thought, now this I can keep up with. I can do this. These guys that are running, I'm going to stay out of their way right now. But I, uh, this, this, this victory march stuff, now I can handle that. I can, I can, let's, I can do that. I can make several laps that way. That's not going to bother me any at all. Well, praise God. You young guys run the aisles for me, all right? Once in a while, just, 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 just let me know. I'm doing this for you, Pastor. I know you'd like to, but I'm going to do it for you because i got the strength and energy to do it, so I'll do it for you. Well, praise God. But I'm going to tell you, here's what's got to happen. It, it doesn't matter what else you do for God if you don't spend enough time with God. The rest is meaningless. We got to talk. I had somebody call me recently and they said, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to teach on hearing the voice of God. And they said, when, when, you, when you've heard the voice of God, just, just talk to me about the experience, about hearing God's voice, when you know God spoke. Well, first of all, I'm not one of those guys that wakes up in the morning and God says, okay, we're brown today. God doesn't give me instructions for every little thing I do in life. 
And honestly, I'm a big skeptic of those who do hear God's voice that often. I really am a big skeptic. But there are times at crucial junctures in my life when God has spoken and I knew it was Him. And this is what I told the individual. I said, let me just, let me just say this. How did I know it was the voice of God? The same way when my wife calls me, I don't have to have caller ID to recognize that's her on the other end of the line. Now, I've had people I haven't talked to in a long time that maybe if their number didn't come up or it was before caller ID that they would call me and they'd just launch into this conversation and I'd have to say, whoa, 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 whoa. who is this? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Some of you young people have no idea what this is like. Because every phone call you get has caller ID. It didn't used to be that way. Caller ID was a big deal when it came out. You don't even know what I mean by caller ID. I'm dating myself by using that term. When their name comes up when they call, that's caller ID. It's identifying the caller. Way back yonder when we were talking in tin cans that were strung together by wire. Um, we didn't have such a thing. And people would call and they would launch into conversations and there were just times I would have to say, I am sorry, but I don't know who this is. And then they'd be embarrassed. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, this is so-and-so. Well, you know, I didn't want to tell them, but it's been so long since we spoke that your voice is just not familiar to me. But can I tell you that long before the days of color ID, even when my wife and I were engaged, we had a set time. Every Friday evening at a certain time, I would call her. Because back then, long distance calls cost money. And they cost a lot of money. There was none of this unlimited calling stuff that you have today. She lived in another city. She had another area code. It cost a lot of money to call her. And so we set a time. Now I wrote to her every day. Every day I wrote her a letter. Every day I wrote her a letter. Didn't I, honey? I did. I wrote her a letter every day. She wrote to me. And I looked forward to getting those letters. But I can tell you there's no caller ID, but I knew if it was her that answered the phone. Because I talked to her enough that I recognized her voice. Are you understanding what I'm telling you? Do you comprehend the message I'm trying to give off? If you spend enough time talking to Jesus, you'll know His voice when He speaks. That's one of the things that shepherds 
have a problem with as shepherds get older, they've got to bring in somebody else and he's got to spend time with that older shepherd and that flock. You don't just want the shepherd to die and some new shepherd take over the flock that they don't know. You know, Jesus made the statement, my sheep hear my voice and they know it. That was something that every shepherd understood. He spent time with the sheep. If the shepherd called the sheep, they knew it was the shepherd's voice because he spent time with them. And so they would have to get used to the voice of a new shepherd. It took time to get used to his voice. And you couldn't just take away the voice of the other shepherd and make them start listening to the voice of the new shepherd. It just didn't work that way. Sometimes it couldn't be helped because of death, whatever. But, but that was not the normal practice. Sheep have to get used to hearing the voice of the shepherd. And I'm saying to you, you've got to spend enough time in prayer that you recognize his voice when he speaks. All right, I've got to hurry. I've got ten minutes, and I'm at the very most important one of all of these. And we've only done one scripture. Here we go. So I've talked about our premier doctrine, our first message. I've talked about our premier focus, our first objective. I've talked about our premier responsibility, our first obligation. Now, all of this is our premier. Whatever. But the fourth premier principle that I want to deal with has got a little bit different take. Because these first three concern us. But the fourth one concerns God. It's not our premier anything. It's God's premier characteristic. It is the one thing about God that is most prevalent in His nature. There are many things about God that we could spend time talking about. We could talk about the fact that He is omnipotent, all-powerful. He's omniscient, all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. God is love. He is peace. He is truth. There are a lot of things we could say about God's character. But out of all of them, there is one that takes precedent over all the rest. Now, before I show you what it is, let me just lay some groundwork. I'm going to try to do this quickly. Matthew 6, verse 10. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Now, this is a part of what we call the Lord's Prayer. So everybody recognizes this verse. But there's something being said here that I'm afraid we've just, we've quoted it, we've said it, we've heard it, and we don't really pay attention to what's being said. But here's what Jesus said. He said, here's what needs to happen. The will of God needs to become as readily done on earth as it is in heaven. So here's what that tells me. Whatever's going on in heaven is the will of God. Does that make sense? 
If that's the example that he wants us to follow on earth, then evidently whatever is going on in heaven is the will of God. Is everybody with me? All right, I know it's closing time, but give me a few minutes. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Now let's listen to this. Isaiah chapter 6. The prophet gets a vision of what's going on in heaven. Remember, whatever's going on in heaven is the will of God. And God gives the prophet Isaiah a vision of what's going on in heaven. Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 3. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood seraphims, each had six wings, with twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, with twain he did fly. One cried unto another. Now, now Isaiah is seeing heaven and he sees these angelic creatures. And he's describing what they're doing. One cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. They did not say, love, love, love is the Lord of hosts. They didn't say, peace, peace, peace is the Lord of hosts. They didn't say, truth, truth, truth. Powerful, powerful, powerful. Mighty, mighty, mighty. They didn't say any of that, though all of that's true. But there's one thing that they say throughout eternity over and over and over as they look at the throne of God, they're declaring one thing about His nature and one thing only. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Above everything else, Yes, He's powerful. Yes, He is truth. Yes, He is mighty. Yes, He is omnipotent. Yes, He is omniscient. But above everything else, He is holy. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, right? Right? Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses? So, that's the Old Testament. Let's go to the New Testament. The book of Revelation, chapter 4, verse 8. The apostle John now has a revelation of what's going on in heaven. And this is the New Testament. And John gets a vision of what's happening in heaven. And here's what he sees. Revelation 4 and 8. And the four beasts had each of them six well, wings. Well, look here. He sees four beasts as well. Had six wings about him. They've all got six wings, just like Isaiah saw. And they were full of eyes within. Uh huh. And they rest not they day rest and night. They rest not day and night. Saying, holy. Saying, love. Holy. Do you get the idea? They're still saying it. Centuries have passed. Eternity is unfolding. And they're still saying the same thing. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy. Hallelujah. Amen. You want to know why we get so hung up on holiness? 
You want to know why we get so hung up on separation? Here's the reason why. The will of God is that holiness be declared. The will of God is that holiness be pronounced. The will of God is that we recognize that above everything else, God's premier characteristic is His holiness. Above everything else, He's holy. Listen, if his love took precedent over his holiness, then he would have saved us as sinners and left us as sinners and just said, everybody's going to heaven. End of discussion. Because he loves everybody. He's not willing that any should perish. He loves everybody. Right? If his love was greater than his holiness, he would have just accepted us the way we were. But there's a reason why he said, I'm not going to accept you that way. I want you saved. In fact, I'm willing to come take on a fleshly body and and be abused, smitten, and put to death for your sakes. I love you that much. But I'm doing it because I can't accept you the way you are. As much as I love you, there is something else about me that's greater than my love. And that is my holiness. It supersedes my love. And as much as I love you, my holiness will not allow me to accept you as you are. That's why, that's why we read it throughout the scripture. I don't have much time, but let me just give you a few examples. Let's skip down Leviticus 11. Um, let's, let's read verse 45. I don't have a whole lot of time here. So Leviticus 11, just go to verse 45. For I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land, out of, the to land of Egypt, Egypt to, be to be your, your God. God. Ye, sh- ye, ye shall therefore, therefore be holy. Be holy for I, for am holy. I am holy. Leviticus 19 verse 2. Speak unto all Speak the unto congregation, all the of, congregation the of, Israel, of Israel and say, unto say them, to them, Ye shall be, ye holy, shall be holy, for I, the for Lord, I, your God, am holy. First Peter chapter 1. Now we've gotten into the New Testament. First Peter chapter 1, verse 15. But as he which hath called, as you, he is which holy, hath called you is holy, so be, so holy be ye holy. In all manner. In all manner uh, that means lifestyle. In all manner of lifestyle. Because it is because written, written be, ye holy, be ye holy, for, I am, for holy. I am holy. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. According as he hath chosen as he us, chosen in, him us in him before the foundation of the world. That we, that should, be we should be holy. Ephesians blame, 5 verse 27. That he might present, he might present it to himself. A glorious church. A glorious church not having, not spot, having or spot or wrinkle or any, or such, any thing, such thing. But that it, but should, that it be holy, should be holy. That the blemish. church should be holy. That the church should be holy. Second Peter 3.11. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. Yes. What manner, what of, manner person of person ought ye to be, be in all holy conversation? 
conversation and godliness. And godliness. 2 Corinthians 6, verses 17 and 18. Wherefore, come out from Wherefore, among, come them, out and from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Saith the Lord touch not, touch the, unclean not the unclean thing, thing and, I will, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you. And you'll be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. If you don't touch the unclean, because you got to be holy, for I am holy. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. Uh, Titus chapter 2. Uh, let's read verses 11 and 12. I, I don't know. We may read all of it, but let's, let's read those two at least. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness, denying ungodliness and worldly and lust. Worldly lust. We, should live we should live soberly, righteously, righteously and, godly and godly in this, present, in this world. present world. I'm telling you, holiness has got to be a characteristic, the premier characteristic of the people of God because it's the premier characteristic of God himself. Well, praise God. Let's go back. I'm trying to do this as quickly as I can. Give me just about maybe 10 more minutes. I'm going to try to wrap it up in 10 minutes. We still got a ways to go, but I'm going to try to do it. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Let's go back and look at this vision Isaiah had because something happened, uh, amen, that I didn't read about the first time, but we're going to talk about it now. Isaiah 6, verses 3 and 4. And one cried unto one another, cried and to said, another and said, Holy, 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 holy is the is Lord, the Lord of hosts. Host. The whole what earth happened? Full of yes, his glory. yes, yes. And what happened? And the post and of the, the door moved. At the, the voice door of him moved that cried. at the voice of him that cried. And the house, and the house was, filled, was with filled with smoke. I'm here to tell you something started moving when the messenger started declaring holiness. The glory of God filled the house of God when the messenger started proclaiming holiness. I want to tell you why the churches of today are weak and powerless because they have abandoned holiness. You can't have power without holiness. You can't have God's glory without God's holiness. That's why they got to have a strobe machine. That's why they got to have fog lights. That's why they got to have rock music. That's why they need all these things. God's glory is not there, but it's because His holiness is not there. You can't have God without holiness because that's his premier characteristic. I had a person that came years ago, and I've got to hurry, but, but came years ago, and he loved it. He said, I've looked all over Kansas City. I've been to the biggest churches in this city and never been able to find what I feel in this place. He had told his wife about it, and, and he had given up on even looking. First time she came, she said, I felt something when I pulled up on the parking lot. She came in. She, she sat down for just a few minutes. We were singing. If I remember right, we were singing, there's power in the blood. And I, I watched as she just laid over in the pew. I thought, well, that's strange. She told me later, she said, I know you thought I was crazy. She said, but my husband has been telling me for years about what he felt as a child. She said, I've never felt it. I didn't know what he was talking about. She said, he finally gave up. He said, it doesn't happen anymore. Nobody's got that power anymore. She said, but when I came in here and I heard you folks singing, she said, I felt something. She said, I'll tell you what I did. I laid down in the pew and got my cell phone out and called him and said, you ought to be here. This is what you've been looking for. This is it. 
Listen to what's going on. This is the place you've been searching for. It's still happening here. She received the Holy Ghost. He received the Holy Ghost. Long story. He flew his whole family here from New York City. Rented a bus to bring them to church one Sunday morning. They wept and cried because they remembered as children feeling what we have here. He was so moved. But one day he quit coming. I tried to reach out. Couldn't get a hold of him. Finally when he responded, he said, you need to come to my house. I need to talk to you. Okay. So I went to his house. He said, well, preacher, look. He said, I'm just not going to raise my family in a church that's so restrictive. He said, that's what my mama, that was the same way that my mama's church was when she was growing up. And I'm not going to raise my kids that way. Well, listen, that's why your mama felt power back then. Because they were still proclaiming holiness back then. But when you quit proclaiming holiness, you lose the power. Saints, I, I want to drill this in you. That's why this is the first chapter of this upcoming book. That's why this is the first lesson in this series. I'm telling you, if we don't have holiness, we'll never have power. If we don't have holiness, we'll never have revival. If we don't have holiness, we're not even going to have God. You want to know how closely connected power is with holiness? Romans chapter 1 verses 3 and 4. Listen to this. Listen to this. Romans 1 verses 3 and 4. Concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God with power. Wait, 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 wait. Now we're talking about the son. Everybody's with me? The son. We're not talking about two separate persons. We're talking about the fleshly body. He was declared to be the son. How? With power. With power. With power. Everyone say with power. power. You want to know where that power came from? Look at what this verse says. He was declared to be the son of God with power. What? According, According to the spirit of holiness. According to the spirit of holiness. Right. My, my, my. You want to know what gave the son of God power? It was his holiness. That's what. You want to have power as a son of God, as a daughter of God? It comes through holiness. we got to separate ourselves from this world. We can't live like the world, act like the world, talk like the world, think like the world, look like the world. We can't do it and have God's power. According to the Spirit of holiness Woo! I wish somebody else would get as excited about that as I am according to the spirit of holiness let me tell you church this is not legalism this is not a list of rules do's and don'ts it's not about measuring your sleeve link when you walk in the door it's about a spirit that gets a hold of us it's about wanting to be holy because God is holy. When I'm not holy, I am in direct opposition to who he is and what he is. I can't expect to get close to him if I'm not going to try to be like him. All right, I got to close. 
I got to close. I, I promised it, and I got to close. And I'm going to skip. I'm going to skip the next verse, and we're going to go to the very last verse. And I'm going to close. I'm going to close. There is a principle found in the book of Amos that I want us to consider as I close tonight. Musicians come. Uh, Amos asks a question. Amos chapter 3 and verse number 3. Amos 3 and verse 3. Listen to the question. We know it. We've heard it quoted. We've, we've heard it talked about. But I want to I bring it up and just put it on the wall and leave it here for a few minutes Listen to this question. Amos 3 and verse 3 says this. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Can two walk together except they be agreed? Now, one commentator said the idea behind this verse is so neither will God be with thee unless thou art agreed and of one mind with God. Think not to have God with thee unless thou art with God. Let me translate that for you. Can two walk together except they be agreed? How are we going to walk with God if we don't agree on what we love and what we hate? If we love the world, And God hates the world. We can't walk together because we're not agreed. If God is holy and we're carnal, how can we walk together? You ever thought about it this way? This hit me, this hit me uh, here sometime. I've never, I've used this verse before, you know, talking about married couples and talking about all, I've used it in all kinds of applications, but I honestly, brother self, I'd never thought about it like this. Can two walk together except they be agreed? How can I walk with God unless I agree with God's principles? How am I going to have fellowship with Him when I'm not trying to think like He thinks? When I'm not trying to see like he sees. When I'm not trying to act like he acts. How can two walk together except they be agreed? I'm going to tell you, I want to walk with him. I want to walk with him every day. I want to get up in the morning and walk with him. When I go to bed at night, I want to still be walking with him. I want it to be that when I close my eyes in death, it's just one more step on the journey. I've been walking with him all the time, and that nothing's going to separate us now. Hallelujah. I want to be in full agreement with him. The only way I can walk with him is to be in agreement with him. He came to save us from our sin. That was the verse I skipped over a while ago. Maybe should have read it. He came to save us from our sin. Now that's, that's what's in his mind. If we're wanting to hang on to them, we're not in agreement with him. And therefore we can't walk with him. But when we make up our mind, God, I'm sick of this old world. I don't want to act like the world. I don't want to talk like the world. I don't want to think like the world. I don't want to worship what the world worships. I don't want my heroes to be the same as the world's heroes. Ooh, it's getting quiet. Surely it's not because you 
don't agree, surely it's not because you feel convicted. It must just be because I'm taking too much time and you're ready to go. I don't want my heroes to be the heroes of this world. I want to be in agreement with him. I want to be in full agreement with him. I want him to do something in me that causes me to love what he loves and to hate what he hates. I want something to be in my heart that I am so in love with him that I order every step, that I guard every word, that I take control of every thought because I want to be in full agreement with him because that's the only way I'm really going to be able to walk with him. Well, let's lift our hands tonight. Let's talk to the Lord.